The scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians, but it is referencing um, Exodus. And there's a, there are some pictures here that are just uh, stunning. Uh, Moses receives the law from, from God in such a face-to-face manner that his face is changed. He, he radiates something of the glory of God. And there's a harshness of the law, and there's a glory of God when he receives it. Um, and it starts out talking about the ministry of death, and that is the idea that the law that we have received from God. So this is 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case... What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites not, may not gaze at the outcome that was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same spirit, the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We sing the glory of Patri pretty much every week. That was beautiful. Let's pray. You know our need, Lord, and I'm convinced that my own need of you is substantially hidden from me, and my need is great and extraordinary, and I pray that you will show us all our need today, and as you show, show us, may we find you to be delightful and uh, refreshing and and joy-filling, and I pray that you, to that end, would work at our, the level where we love things, where we love stuff, where we love. Move at that level, Lord. Don't leave us uh, to anything less than yourself. Uh, that's, a, that's a high and lofty kind of thing to pray, but you are worth it. And we pray that you'll help us to know your worth today. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, uh, happy new year. And uh, we're starting a short new series called You Can Change. 
And uh, I was just reflecting here before I got up to speak. I was thinking about, about all my elementary school teachers who would love to hear me preach on change. I was that little boy they kept wondering about. Um, change. I have lots of books on change. I, I, I piled them all together uh, a couple weeks back, and I looked at them all. And I thought, hey, there's a theme developing here in your, in your life, Todd. And that is that you, you seem to be interested in change and you want change. And a lot of authors are writing about it. And I'm wondering if it would be important for us to think about change. It's a big subject. You can't really cover it in, f- in five weeks. And actually, we call it a six-week series. We'll throw Dan Zink's message on January 20 as part of the whole thing, okay? So um, this text is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and you have it there in your worship folder. And I'd encourage you to take a look at it as we, as we go through here. If you have a pencil or a pen, you want to follow along, circle some things. This is not quite a, a seminar or a lecture but um, it's really quite remarkable to f- follow Paul's thought here. Uh, we're going to start the year with a series on, on change. I went to an evangelical Christian college, and um, I was a new Christian, and uh, I was taking a number of courses on uh, what it was like to work in the church. And uh, so we had one class where we had presenters come in, and uh, there was a full-time children's worker who came in uh, from a large church in Southern California. And then there was a, a youth pastor who came in and did a presentation. And then there was a, an adult education minister who came in and did a presentation. It was quite interesting. So the youth pastor, oh, the, the children's worker and the youth pastor, bubbly personalities, they were really uh, creative. You could see they were just a right fit for what they're doing. They were vivacious and excited about what they were doing. They were really infectious about the way they talked. And then uh, they, they each came in once a week. And in the third week, we had the adult education pastor of a large church. And I remember looking at him before he got up to speak. And I said, that man looks sad. And as he got up and spoke to us, within two or three minutes, He confessed. He says, I want to just tell you the truth about adults. They change very slowly. But he didn't smile. He was sad about it. (laughs) And I don't think any of us signed, oh, I want to be an adult education minister. Oh, this is going to be great. No one one signed. No one even hung around him afterwards, I don't think. It was just just this dour presentation. You can think about children. Children are exciting, and, and they, they're, they're so open to things, and they're learning things, and, and youth are fun to work with because they're, they're self-conscious, that they're aware, that they're, they don't have it together, and teenagers are fun to, to work with and always exciting. Adults, adults change slowly. Is that you? Uh, you figured out what it means to be an adult. You kind of cruise along in life. You're set in your ways. You've habituated to life. You're, you're comfortable. You, you even figured out how to resist the preacher who's up there starting a new series on change. You see, you've you got church figured out. You've taken a personality test. You, you know who you are. You, you figured out your love languages. Your marriage is okay. Uh, what do you think? Do you, do you agree with that idea that adults change slowly and you say amen to that? Why not? That's how adults just are, preacher. 
We just we don't we don't we're not in the change business. Europeans think Americans are crazy for many reasons. One of the other things is they're always observing how Americans have these weekend seminars that are supposed to change everyone's life. You know, people in England are allergic to those kinds of ideas. How do you how do you believe that in two days your life can change? But Americans love that. We buy stuff up, books at Barnes & Noble, amazing books about, any of you reading those these days? New Year, right? new resolutions. We love these things, change. It's, there's a whole niche market on this whole stuff of change. We love it. Are we a church that really wants change in people's lives? Is that really what we're after? I remember uh, during seminary, I uh, attended a, a Presbyterian church, an OPC church, actually. And, and it was interesting that this, for some reason this elder felt free to talk to me about what had happened in an elders' meeting. And it was a very good thing. Uh, he talked about how they had all assessed areas of change uh, that they needed in their life. And he was a, a, a retired orange grower, an orange farmer in, 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 in Florida. And I always thought, boy, he seems like he's a very mature Christian and stuff. And he said, you know, I have anger issues. And so I told the elders, I need, to, I need to work on that. And they said, yeah, what's your plan? Meaning they expected him to change. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder if TPC is really an easy place to say, I, I need to change. Is, is the culture, is the atmosphere, the, the environment of our church, is it, is it easy to say, I, I want to change? I hope it is. If it isn't, you can tell me. Send me an, an email. Hey, I don't know. It doesn't feel comfortable. I, if you struggled with something, could you say you struggle in a small group? Could you say it? Could you say in a prayer request? Could you be open? I need to change. Would that be, would that be something you could say honestly? In fact, would we all sort of take on that, minister, that minister's face and be sort of dour when it comes to, to change? Oh, I don't know. Adults change slowly. Adults are such a drag. There's such a, you know, it's interesting. Paul in the Corinthians Paul isn't like that adult minister at all. He, he's, he's, he's up on this idea of change. In fact, he writes many positive things. He writes hard things to the Corinthians. But he also writes very many, some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible come from the letters to the Corinthians. Beautiful verses. One of them comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says, God is always leading us in his triumph through Jesus Christ. What, a, what an amazing thing. And, and if you know what the Corinthians were like, the, these were Greeks that Paul had planted this church in Corinth that's just south of Athens. And uh, they were really quite impressed with themselves. Uh, they, loved, they loved personalities, and they loved oratory skills. And they, uh, of course, the Greeks loved their history of pursuing wisdom and, and all the great history of the Greeks. But they loved celebrity notoriety, and they, 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 they were uh, factious. They loved party, uh, like uh, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of this person. They liked to follow. They, they wanted to be around like a glorious personality. And Paul had his hands full with them because, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 3, we find out they have found other apostles to follow. We don't even know who they are, but it call, Paul calls them super apostles. We don't even know who these guys were. But the Corinthians sort of said, thank you, Paul. We found our real leaders now. And they sort of dismissed Paul. But Paul writes beautiful things to the Corinthians. God is at work. God can change you. Change is possible. It's really quite remarkable 
the things that we think will change us. Do you know there's a whole school that comes from B.F. Skinner, who was a Harvard professor, and it's called behaviorism? You guys ever heard of it? You can take psychology 101 in, in school. Behaviorism. You know, you can take a little mild electric shock, you know? You could try this at home, have a little D batteries hooked up to your ankle. And every time you eat a donut, your wife can come over here and zap you or something, right? That's called behavior modification. And if, the, I mean, if I got zapped with some electricity every time I had a pastry, I think I'd probably lose 10 pounds. I mean, there's some, there's some merit to it. In fact, B.F. Skinner said, I can, make, I, can make a, I can make you anything. I can make you a, a, a murderer, and I can make you a saint. Just get me, get me at you, and I'll put the behavior mod on you. And you'll, you'll uh, Pavlov's dogs, we'll, we'll make you do whatever you, whatever, there, is, there is nothing intrinsic about you as a human being. You're just a bunch of impulses. Behaviorism is still very much, a, just read a current parenting magazine. You'll find all kinds of B.F. Skinner ideas. We want to change. Americans want to change. We talk about it a lot. I, during the holidays, I have kind of a strange schedule, kind of like some of you. And I, I, like on a Tuesday afternoon, I might be home at 4 o'clock, and I, I'm watching Oz, the, uh, doc, Dr. Oz, right? I only see him like three times a year. Every time I see him, he always has people holding livers, human livers. Have you seen this? Well, three. I mean, I catch it every time. Every every audience member is holding a liver, and uh, they bring. Well, not everybody, but they bring down some people. And there's the the, the liver of the person um, uh, from a cadaver, and, and and this is now a a, a uh, oh, it was a, it was a someone who was an alcoholic, and then what happens to the liver, and then someone who ate uh, you know the double cheeseburger lunch every day, and what happened to that person, and so then there's one person holding the, the nice liver. And, and this is all supposed to shock us. It's all supposed to, whoa, man alive, I'm never having a double cheeseburger again. And it's all supposed to work. And, you know, we're fascinated by it. And, and, to, and the next day will be another series of warnings about what not to eat, what to do, how to change, go organic, go vegan, whatever it is. Do we change? We would like to talk about it, but do we change? What's interesting about the Apostle Paul is he knows... He knows better than anybody that the Corinthians need to change. And how does he do it? Sometimes he goes directly at them, and other times he goes indirectly. And I'm going to suggest to you that uh, both those approaches are, are appropriate for uh, gospel ministry. If someone's doing something sinful, you need to tell them that that's appropriate. But to get someone to really change... You have to work. You have to. You have to target your message deeper into the heart. And uh, so, what Paul does in Second Corinthians three is he explains to them the, the dynamics of change. It's really really cool. Um, first of all, he uh, he establishes hope, and he does it in verse eleven uh, of chapter uh, chapter two. Uh, he says here. Uh, excuse me, um, verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will we will what is permanent have glory. And then verse 12, since we have w- such a what? Hope. 
such a hope. There it is. So he establishes in the Corinthian mind that if there's going to be change, that's his target. He's, he wants life change in them. But he establishes very clever and, and spirit-inspired. He says, look, I'm going to give you a foundation for hope. And, here, and it goes into the Old Testament, as Bill explained, that what was going on was Moses was one who encountered the living God, and it affected his face. And then he came down, and as he began to talk to people, he became aware of something. And here, here's what it was. He became aware, Moses did, that his experience on the mountain, the glowing face, was fading. And so what he did was he covered his face so people couldn't notice that it was fading. What does this have to do with change? Help me here. Then the Apostle Paul contrasts that momentary glory that Moses had with permanent glory that's ours through Jesus Christ. You're ever going to be shining. You're ever going to be changed. And he contrasts that, and he says, Look, Corinthians, you have hope. Permanent, permanent hope. He establishes hope. And he does this by a number of ways. He says that the Spirit of God is working in you. And uh, he, he establishes that the, the first uh, uh, ministry that Moses came with the law was filled with glory, but it was a ministry of death. That means it condemns you. But this ministry is a ministry of righteousness, of, of salvation, and it's going to be much more glorious. So he lays down this foundation of hope that there is a permanent work that is underway and it is glorious and it is the highest of all God's works and it's permanent. And you look at the museums of the world and you see artifacts of kingdoms that intended to be around for a long time. The, the Hittites, when they built their kingdom 5000 BC, the Hitt, none of the Hittites said, hey, let's make sure all this stuff ends up in a museum. There was no one who said that. They all thought they're going to build a kingdom and it's going to last for, for on and on and on and on, right? The Romans, they, they, they did the same thing. World history is a history of glory-seeking. And it could be true of the United States. World history is a history of glory-seeking, but there's no permanent hope in all this glory-seeking. It's not there. And Paul is, is helping the Corinthians to know that you, through God's grace, hitch your wagon to the permanent hope and you're going to have real change happen in your life. So Moses was aware that the glory of Mount Sinai was temporary. And it's interesting. He, Paul then comments that the Jews, even to this day, have a veil over their eyes. Right? They can't see the glory that you and I see. The point is this that there is kind of a shame associated with glorying in something that's gone. Like, imagine, imagine you're having a political discussion. Political discussion. And one of you, you bring up, oh, wasn't the Eisenhower administration wonderful? In our day and age, now that might be interesting, and you may prove how wonderful it is, but most people are going to say, that is, how was that 60 years ago? I mean... There's no glory in the Eisenhower administration anymore. It's gone. Why would you associate yourself with that? Does that make sense? In other words, 
None of us want to experience the shame of being excited about something that's now past and gone, right? And to admit that it's past and gone is sort of a shameful experience. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, really, I really misplaced my affections. What Paul's saying here is you can be part of a permanent experience of glory and it will never bring shame upon you. You don't have to cover your face to try and hide what's fading. Right? Now, now this, this all might sound a little strange. This is the background to how we change as, as Christians. This is one text where Paul is setting up just that. So, here's what's going on. Let's, let's, just, let's just let the text preach for us right now. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. And I'm going to start here with verse uh, 16. 2 Corinthians 3.16, watch what he does. Watch what Paul does. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So there's an openness, a beauty, a boldness, seeing God face to face. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, Corinthians, listen in, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, the key word there is the word transformation, present, active, continuous, are being. Circle that, underline it, memorize it, That is the hope of the Christian, to be part of a permanent glory. You're not part of some ancient glory that you wish would just come back. It is a permanent glory right now. And what this is, is this is the transformation that's to happen in us comes through gazing. Gazing upon the great work of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what he's saying here. We are being transformed. How does that happen? It happens through, as Moses was there with God, looking at the glory, seeing God, observing the glory, experiencing the glory. For us, we are being transformed in our experience of worship of the living God. To encounter the living God is a change experience. We gaze upon God's glorious work in Jesus Christ. We become increasingly aware that loving this God, worshiping this God with our lives, repenting and confessing, becoming increasingly aware that this will never lead to our shame. This is where we can hitch our wagon. This is, this is what is vital and true and lasting. We, it will never be a waste of time. It will never lead to shame. We will grow in our understanding of the true and living God's worth, and we will turn away from false glories and false stories. And we will grow in estimating God's worth. And what happens when we, est- when we grow in estimating God's worth? We are growing in our holiness. We're growing in sanctification. Two big Bible words, but they're not that difficult to grasp. Justification has to do with your relationship with God's law. And every honest person who really lets the law of God speak to them says, 
uh, I'm busted. <laughs> uh, uh, I come into God's courtroom a criminal. I violated his law. And God, in his grace, gives us the law keeper, his son. And by faith, we are justified through Christ's righteousness alone. This is the good news of the gospel. There's nothing else like it in in the world. And now we are justified. We are adopted as God's children. And then here's something remarkable. Sanctification is conforming to the character of God. Sanctification has to do with the pollution of sin that's still remaining in us. But now we're conforming to the character of God. What does, what's the point of change in the Christian life? The point of change, the direction, the, the reason for change is that we see that God is worth conforming to. We see his value. We see his beauty. Our sanctification happens as we gaze. As Moses was changed, gazing at the top of Mount Sinai, you are changed gazing through worship. So can you think of an attitude that would change because you are gazing better? Can you think of a, a, a behavior that would be modified, B.F. Skinner, uh, modified not by an electric shock, but by seeing beauty, the beauty of God? Uh, and how about character? How about a character? You see, a, a character quality, uh, some virtue you'd like to see formed in your, in your life. The reason why you may have an attitude problem, or you may have a uh, behavior problem, or a character problem. The reason is that you have a worship problem. And what Paul's setting up for the Corinthians is the dynamic of change, the transformational gazing, that's all related to the permanent glory that you have in Christ Jesus. So there's so much that could be said here, but essentially, what can I do to make, make this happen? And I turn away from my own personal gazing, uh, which is what I'm preoccupied with. There's a task you can do, and that is you can help yourself. Um, you can expose yourself to the great promises of God regularly and daily. What is going on in this worship service? Essentially, we're, we are rehearsing the promises of God. We're singing about them. Someone's preaching about them. What's going on here? It's a rehearsal. We're rehearsing over and over. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's what Jesus did. That's what God the Father did. Well, in other words, we are rehearsing the delights of the gospel. And we're various different ways. Different, different, it's, it's like a buffet. where are different portions, different servings of this stuff. And that is... What's going on, hopefully, in your heart is you're saying, that's delightful. That's good stuff. That could change my life. That could change my neighbor's life. That's the good stuff. You're delighting in the gospel because it's being served to you today, right? It's being served, right? Pastor, you can work on your dish a little bit better, right? You can work on that, but, but right? You're, you're being served. Now, can you serve yourself? Ah, interesting. Yes, you can serve yourself. Open your Bible. And say, Lord, you've got to show me your, be- your beauty today. <laughs> you've got to show me your, this permanent glory today. In other words, you can address your need for glory and for personal change by personal worship. Your fellowship group, you can work on worship. Okay. My attitude, my uh, behavior, or my character problems are worship problems.
Now, one other area. If you're sort of indifferent, sort of, all right, pastor, you did your, all right, 2 Corinthians 3, I got it. I'm done right. If you're sort of resistant to this stuff, I, I, want, you to, I want you to wake yourself up. And, and I think this is what, this, I'm going to guess what happens. When people need to be awakened in the church, here's what I think what's going on. I'm just guessing, right? Here's the deal. You, you, you measure yourself according to the people around you and even the guy up front. Um, I'm doing okay, right? In other words, you, your assessment is, well, all right, he's a six, but I'm a five. Okay. So in other words, you're not... It's not that. It's not that. Of course, I'm, I need to grow. Of course, I need to change. But it's, I'm, I'm actually I'm doing okay. If you think that way, well, let's just raise your hands right now. No, I'm just joking. So, so if you think that way, here's what you need. You need a jolt uh, uh, of a lot of spiritual caffeine. And here's what you need. You need to dwell on the glory of God and on his Son. And you need to look at the example of Jesus and to say, wow, that, look what he did when the pressure was on. Look at the words he said when he was under trial. Look at the, look at the way he reacted when he was betrayed. Look at the way he responded to the disappointments he experienced. You need to be awakened. I need to be awakened to a higher standard. And the standard is the glory of God. Your life is to shine forth the glory of God. And so those are two noble goals for your life. The glory of God, that's why I was born, that's why I exist. And the one who shows me what it's like to be a human being is Jesus Christ. He's my standard. Now, you'll always fall short of his standard, but it will awaken you to say, you mean this is what you want me to be conformed to? You're being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's happening right now. That's underway. Be encouraged. It's underway. Now to be conscious of it and to be aware of it is the key. So how do we do this? And now I'm done. And let's have the Lord's Supper. How do we care? How do we, how, what is the backdrop to all this discussion about images, uh, the image of God and Moses encountering God and glory and then we're being transformed and all this extraordinary privilege of being uh, transformed and changed? You can encounter the living God unashamed. Unashamed. You can come before his perfect law and say, exactly right. I agree with your law, but I have a law keeper and I have a savior. You have been given an extraordinary privilege of being transformed by the very God you offended. And he is unashamed to bring to you the glory of his son, and he desires that you would be conformed in total to his son. We who were born by nature to disregard him and to not esteem him, he came after us and he changed us and he loves us. And he has now given us the opportunity to gaze upon his glory that we would be made, remade, remade into the image of God. And how that happens? It happened through his son becoming defaced. They went after his face and his body, and he was willing to become, to look less than human on the cross, 
to have the image of God removed from him. He was not considered a human being or worth caring. And that is what God gave us, his son, in order that we would be conformed and remade and re-envisioned in glory. We have this extraordinary privilege to come before our God unashamed because his son was willing to take upon us his shame or our shame. We have God's face toward us. Listen to this. God's face is toward us, never to be turned away from us, but it did turn away from his son who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. The one who depended and loved his father and never knew what it was like to be abandoned by his father was willing to experience that, that you could be changed and you would be now made after, remade in the image of, of, of God. What a privilege we have to now say to our Heavenly Father, thank you by celebrating the work of his Son. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that you are committed to us and that you are working and you are underway to make us delight in you. Father, I could just point at people. I could just give them commands and give them law. I could put pressure on their hearts. Oh, Father, but you do a far more important work. You work at the level of where we see, see you as beautiful. We see you as gorgeous and gracious. Lord, what, what attributes can we give? What words, what descriptors are there? Father, I pray for renewal in our hearts. We are being transformed after the same image from one degree of glory to another. You are at work. Feed us now. Strengthen us through the work of Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.